Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Jen Gerson, you've been on the show many times. This is your first time here live in our studio. Welcome to Toronto. Thank you. I feel like I've come to the uh, hipster epicenter of Toronto. Oh, no. This is, you got to go a little bit further west for that. But, oh, sorry. Uh, okay. I'll keep that in mind. I'll give you the hipster map later. Glad to have you here. Jen Gerson of the National Post. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Eric Geringas, Renaud Bedard, David Godsall, Gilbert Normando, Robert Schultz, Scott Hudson Riley, Ali Gould, and Jenny Daly O'Kane. Jenny, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you're often right, but more importantly, when you're not, you're willing to admit that you're not. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. I was talking with the people at FreshBooks the other day, and one of the things I like about them, among many things that I like about this company- You like many things. I do, is that they are in an industry where there are like, there's big accounting software. And they, they said, we're not going to go for major corporations. We are a part of this new workforce, this burgeoning gig workforce, this workforce of freelancers and people working in coffee shops. And we are just going to focus on those people and solve problems for them. They're saying, we target our product at people like 
creatives who have a weird relationship with money. When you're in a creative field, you feel strange asking people for money, even if you've done work for money. And they almost act as an intermediary. Yes, they are there just to make accounting simple for non-accountants, to make it so that it's the smallest part of your day, to make it so that you don't have to really give up the creative time to worry about your bookkeeping. But they also sort of play this role when you're a freelancer going to a commissioning editor, a company, a client, they're almost like an intermediate, a professional who gets in the way and says, excuse me, on behalf of this freelancer, it's been 30 days, you owe them some money. They put a professional face on it. They put a professional gloss on everything you do as a freelancer. They make it really easy on the freelancer's end, but they also make it seem a little bit more authoritative so that you're not, you know, jeopardizing the relationship and calling up and saying, Where, where's my money? And what they found is the people who use them get paid quicker. FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Check it out at freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. And Jen, you can try it out for 30 days when you become a customer. And I think, were you a freelancer, you would. I have freelanced, although I will say nothing is really as effective at getting money as threatening to sue. You are a person who I don't think would have any problem calling up and saying, where is my money? So I, I think that, you know, there are other features would be of more use for you. But if you don't want to threaten to sue the people who pay you, then um, I, I would suggest trying this first. Check it out. Tell them who sent you. Thank you, FreshBooks. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
Canada's biggest newspaper chain is in play. Golden Tree Asset Management is in preliminary talks to sell its stake in post-media network Canada Corp. The U.S. hedge fund controls 52% of post-media's restricted voting shares and also a portion of its debt load. Post-media's stable of papers includes the National Post and the Ottawa Citizen. But will those marquee properties find a willing buyer? Will they, Jen? Oh, probably. Can we buy it? I mean, I, didn't analysts say that post-media stock is worth nothing? How much money do you have in your purse right now? Uh, it's not just the uh, stock, though. It's the debt. And I guarantee you do not have enough money to buy the debt. Why would I want to buy their debt? Did I ever pick the right week to come on the show? <laughs> no problems. But no, I mean, even though the shares aren't necessarily worth anything, the combination of the equity stake and the debt is probably still worth hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So it's not a matter of just, you know, buying up all the shares, I don't think. Oh God, a business reporter is going to tell me that I can okay, go this is I can go onto my quest trade and literally buy 52% of their shares <laughs> at like 10 cents a piece and we should, oh, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should do it. Maybe we should do that. Post media, whatever its ills, is still the largest newspaper chain in Canada. Newspapers, though they make less money than ever before, still make a lot of money. So... Godfrey said that they had to go with Golden Tree, this U.S. vulture fund, because nobody in Canada was offering them anything. Well, nobody in Canada was offering them enough. That's not what he said, but that's that turned out to be the truth. That's not what he said, but that was what happened. That's what I want to know is because what it turned out was that John Honrick of Torstar turned around and said, uh, Paul, that's not true. We offered you some money. And then Paul said, you didn't offer me enough. And then it was like that. So could... Torstar? Oh, I would I would highly expect Torstar would be in there um, taking a look at the books and trying to decide whether to make another bid. Absolutely. I'd be shocked if they weren't, frankly. But I think I have to just point out here, I'm not important in the post-media corporate hierarchy. I don't have access to special information here. I have access to exactly the same information that everybody else does, and I can only speculate. You are here speaking as you speak about any other topic as an informed and intelligent person there we go. in the media. Just so that we're clear. Not as a member of the post-media conglomeration. Correct. It doesn't surprise me that Golden Tree is looking at selling its stake. That doesn't necessarily tell us anything more or less than what we knew last week. Why does that not surprise you? Because they were still making crazy money off of the interest payments, which I think Postmedia made every payment. Right. So the Postmedia papers are actually doing pretty well. I think all papers at this point are are pretty well either breaking even or making money. As, As a chain, if we didn't have this huge amount of debt on our backs, we'd be in a really strong position. Frankly, a lot stronger than a lot of other newspapers, I think, in a lot of ways from a business perspective. Um, well, because, you, you know, yeah. you fired a lot of people. Yes, correct. Yeah. However, the problem is, of course, I think we're sitting on $800 million of debt. And not only are we sitting on this huge tranche of debt, but it's US dollar debt. So when the Canadian dollar goes down, as it has done, we have to pay back that US debt in devalued Canadian dollars. The noose around Postmedia's neck, according to Paul Godfrey. Again, that's bad for Postmedia, but has been good for Golden Tree. Not necessarily, because the question starts to be, if Postmedia is unable to pay back that debt, we move into a restructuring phase. Golden Tree is a second tier debt holder, which means if we're restructuring that debt, they don't have first dibs on the payout. You explained that very well for a non-business reporter. Okay, well, and, so, that, and, and, so that like an totally actual business, makes sense why I, they would want to get out now. I, I'm not a business reporter, so if a business reporter is out there and, yeah. <laughs> and wants to point out how wrong or how simplified what I've just said is, please do. So it makes perfect sense that they would look at this now and say, okay, we're probably heading for a restructuring. Maybe we've maxed out our investment and it's time for us to bail and let's see how much money we might be able to get on the dollar by putting our stake up for sale. So the media has been reporting that, you know, this is going to be a troubled sale. No one's 
going to want it. It's going to be hard to find a suitor. I guess it's just about finding the right price. I think what people want to know is who's going to own this newspaper chain? Is it going out of business or is it going to be sold? If it's sold to a Canadian company, is that good for the newsreader? Is that good for journalistic coverage in Canada? What do you think? If your new daddy was Torstar, would that be a good thing? It could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. I think that we can't be naive about Torstar. Torstar does not operate for sainted interests. It's operating for the purposes of making money, which is fine. I have no objection to that. Go make some money. That hasn't been going so well, but Um, that's the idea. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the idea in principle. And as a fellow capitalist, I salute you, Torstar. You go make that money. So if they do decide to make a bid, it's because they see some profit in the asset or some value in the asset. Now, that being said, if they were to make a successful bid for the post-media chain, this would bring in a fairly unprecedented degree of media concentration. In a lot of cities, it means every single newspaper and publication would effectively be owned by Torstar with the exception of the globe. Wow, we might have media concentration in Canada? Yeah, but taking it to like almost perfect media concentration. Uh If that is the case, I think Torstar would have to start asking about what assets it would be um, willing to strip. I would have some real questions about what would happen to the Sun Papers in that scenario. But that might be one of the very few options forward for this chain. The thing is, we're talking today and this morning, John Cruikshank, publisher of the Toronto Star, was, oh wait, he wasn't fired. Uh, He's stepping down, stepping down. So I do resent the mystery that shrouds this announcement from the Toronto Star, that John Cruikshank In the midst of this major initiative he's taken, Star Touch, which the internal memo said, you know, he spearheaded Star Touch. I don't know if they're trying to compliment him or if that was code for why he's on the way out. The talk has been for a long time that Star Touch is looking like a major fiasco and a debacle. And who is responsible? And the names that keep coming up, of course, John Cruikshank and and Editor-in-Chief Michael Cook. So now it's that he's leaving He's jumping. He wasn't pushed. Do you buy that? You know, I haven't seen any evidence that the two things are connected. I think that we have to keep in mind one thing, and that is um, Mr. Cruikshank, with all due respect, is old. It doesn't really surprise me that he's retiring. Is the timing interesting? Potentially, yes, maybe. But let's see what happens with Star Touch in the next couple of months and or years. I agree with you. Absolutely, that Star Touch is going to be something that is studied in future business programs as like a case study of failure. And I, I don't mean to be entirely flippant on that point because we have to point out if we're going to talk about Star Touch, they hired a hundred people to do that, and a hundred really amazing people. Some of the people they hired to do Star Touch are fantastic. They're exactly the sort of people that you should be bringing into newsrooms. They're young people. They're young it's the people. first major push of, of hiring young people that we've seen. Like, I would love it if Star Touch was a resounding... It's just like we have to talk in a in, 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 a this, realistic. in this universe, not in cuckoo land. No, I mean, I think Star Touch is a pretty classic example of what happens when people who have no digital instinct make decisions about digital futures. These are old men who for a long time denied that digital was even happening. And then I think when it became undeniable... They said, okay, we need a a digital strategy. And they jumped on the first one that somebody sold them that looked like it might lead to profitability based on this La Press thing. Talked about this on the show before. That is a very unique marketplace. And that case itself might be worthy of some scrutiny. Yeah, I think anybody who has spent any time on digital engagement or digital traffic took one look at La Press's numbers and was like, nope. Don't make sense to me. I don't see those numbers in my in my field. I don't see anything close to those numbers. Do you know for the Post or for Post Media, I know that the tablets that they tried to launch failed and they've basically mm-hmm. said as much. I just know to whatever degree it's a worthy sample group, Canada land audience, I can see on my Google Analytics, whether they're on a phone, on a desktop computer or on a tablet. 
And there's rarely more than 8% of people reading the news. Oh, wow. That's a lot. So what are you guys hitting? I couldn't tell you exactly because, I mean, we've, we've shut those tablet apps down okay. um, when we were operating. I don't think I'm giving away any No, I'm not even talking about here. a tablet app. I'm just saying, like, who's reading our website via tablet? It's such a small percentage of the audience that it was deemed by the powers that be that, that it wasn't worth the extra resources we were putting into it. You don't peg your future on monetizing 8% or lower of your audience. And the problem is that they made this decision in this huge Hail Mary pass, just as I think everybody else was starting to give up on tablet. And just as everybody else was starting to realize that mobile was where the growth rates were going to come from. I, so I'm even in Toronto this week and I'm sitting on the subway and I'm sitting on the streetcars and how many people are reading tablets? None of them. Yeah. Nobody. They're reading phones or they're reading Kobos or they're reading books. Nobody is bringing their tablet, their awkward, clunky tablet. Why I think the tablets really took off among a certain demographic is everybody who I talked to who was really excited about the Stars tablet app was like 50 plus. Yeah. To them, it looked really compelling. I think that that has a lot to do. I mean, oh, God, I'm going to be such a jerk now. I think it it's easy on the eyes. Tablet is easy on the eyes. Yeah. And as a result, there was a willingness to be impressed by these sorts of apps. It sounds good from a business point of view because a tablet ad advertisers are willing to pay per impression. Like people actually have to do something with the ad, but if people do click through the ad, you'll get a lot more money on that than you'll get off of a display ad. Display ads sell for a lot less than a print ad. Tablet ads sell for more, but people actually have to look at them, then they have to interact with them. And that's predicated on this idea that when you look at a tablet app, it's not like you're looking at it on a regular computer where you're reading one story and then flipping through to the next thing and going to another newspaper and you're, you're kind of surfing around the web. It's a beautiful it's dream. This, it's like, a magazine. It's, yeah, it's it a moves, magazine. It's glossy. It's it, color. Pe- people will actually pick this up and read it for like an hour on the subway and blah, blah, blah. And it just, that's just not how people consume news anymore. And it's not how people our age consume news anymore. And the sooner we accept that in our heart of hearts and move on, the sooner we're going to stop making these sorts of terrible digital decisions that aren't based in reality. The federal liberal government promised hundreds of millions of dollars in cultural investments during its successful election campaign this past fall. The party promised to reverse the conservative government cuts to the CBC. It also promised money for the Canada Council for the Arts, Telefilm, the National Film Board as well. We're soon going to find out if those cultural investment promises will come to fruition. What should the CBC do? What should the CBC do? With all uh, the money they're going to be getting from uh, Bask in their glory. Um, full disclosure, I, I'm a pretty regular contributor to CBC, so I'm making money from the CBC. Just tell us when we hit a topic that you don't have a conflict <laughs> on. No, it's like, basically, I work for everyone now. And I can't deny I have a vested interest in seeing the CBC do well, because that means they will have more money for panelists like me. We all um, have an interest in the CBC doing well, because we all pay for it to exist, and we all need news in this country. So I don't get any money from the CBC anymore, but I will couch everything that we're about to say or repeat, I have no problem as a taxpayer with the CBC getting $150 million back. I would have no problem if the federal government doubled the amount of money the CBC gets. The CBC is underfunded and we need the CBC. But I don't know that they, the specific CBC we have right now, deserves the money. I think the CBC as an idea needs a lot more money than it's getting. And I don't know that they've actually said what they're going to do with it. The CMG, the Canadian Media Guild, has asked for Hubert Lacroix, the president of the CBC's head on a plate. They've asked for him to resign because they say that he has announced, I couldn't find any evidence of this announcement, but I think they're making an inference. Even if the funding is restored, they will continue the plan to diminish CBC Radio Canada. The union wants the jobs back, all the jobs that were cut. And they're saying, okay, if you get the money back, can we have the jobs back? And I think the CBC hasn't promised them that. And that's why the CMG is saying this. It's an interesting conversation about the CBC. If you and I were to sit down in a room and ask ourselves, in a world of infinite power, how would we reform the CBC today? I think we would actually come up 
with an interesting plan that would look very different from how the CBC looks today. I don't think that there's any debate that the CBC has to do what a lot of other media organizations are doing and make the shift to a very digital focused organization. I think radio is a core function. I think news and current events is a core function. I think a lot of Canadians, particularly in the parts of the world where I am, fundamentally resent the fact that they are forced to pay into a media organization that they feel doesn't fairly represent conservative values or doesn't fairly represent other regions of Canada. It's a very um, inward-looking Toronto-focused organization. I hear that and I understand that. I think the CBC has a responsibility to take those sorts of criticisms into account, and I think that they try to. You know, if we were to sit here and reform the CBC, what would we do today? I would probably completely separate the current events part of the CBC from all the arts and entertainment and culture stuff. I mean, coming from a biased perspective here, and that is of someone who is produces news for a living and and values journalism very highly. For me, that is a core function of what they do. And it's actually an important part of what they do. And particularly as we're going through a period of serious transition and decline in, in the private sector, there might be an argument for saying that the CBC's news division needs the support to provide services to underserviced areas in other parts of the country. Here's the thing that people don't understand living in places like even Calgary and Edmonton, is that as the heralds and the journals and the suns have been cut and cut and cut and cut and are struggling so much. Increasingly, it's the local CBCs who take up the slack. Increasingly, even in major cities, it's the local CBCs where people need to get some news because the resources have just been cut so much from the private sector. And that trend is not going away. We are going to undergo a transition. And I do think it is going to turn around and get better from where it is now. But we are years out from that. And in the meantime, is there an argument for saying maybe the public sector needs to fill this gap during this transition period? Yeah, there probably is. But how are you going to make that argument when this money is going to Radio Canada and this money is going to fill relatively overpaid union jobs and this money is going to fill the role for new little mosques on the prairie, you're kind of diluting your mandate and you're making it harder to make that pitch to Canadians and that sale to Canadians that you need that money and you deserve it. If you and I were to sit right down right now and come up with a vision for the CBC, we would have one. Mine wouldn't be very different than what you just said right now. Everybody loves to do this. All around this country, people are getting together and they say, if I ran the CBC, this is my vision. There are thousands of visions for the CBC in Canada. The problem is the CBC doesn't have a vision for the CBC, even a bad one. The last thing we heard was this digital gobbledygook when they were cutting all the jobs. We we leaked some documents about their digital restructuring. It didn't make a lick of sense. My problem is that all of this is happening, again, completely shrouded in mystery, a public institution, and they're, they're getting this money from federal government. And I know that there are negotiations. The reason why it's taken so long, the reason why the heritage minister, Jolie, keeps getting asked, when is this money coming in, is because they keep asking the CBC behind closed doors, what are you going to do with the money? And they want a memo from the CBC. None of this is happening publicly. To the people who think the CBC doesn't represent conservatives or outside of Toronto, they should stand up and, and demand that the CBC do those things. This larger conversation of how there's an increasingly non-existent business case to be made for local news coverage, that strengthens the case for public news coverage. If some bold leader at the CBC were to stand up and say, Canada needs us more than ever, there is no guarantee that the private sector is going to cover the news. Sitcoms are great. Reality shows are fun. We're going to be about news for now. And we're going to do it digitally, or they could say, you know what, we don't really care what we do. Like, we're just going to do it, and we're going to give away the content on any platform. We have a TV signal, fine, we'll fill it with content, we'll fill the internet with content. People use our radio service, so we'll fill that with content, but we're about news. 
If they were to make that case, I think that their position in this country would be unassailable. I think that the love Canadians would have for them, they would probably be able to make a case for continuing to increase their funding and all would be well in the land if I ruled the world. But maybe I'm an idiot and I don't have a I don't have the right solution for the CBC. What is their solution? And in the absence of any clarity on that, is it in the liberal government's hands to dictate terms? Because this is like, we're hearing some strange things. This is what happened when the heritage minister, Melanie Jolie, was asked on the CBC on cue what she thinks when she listens to the CBC and what she would change. Different voices are not necessarily always heard, and that could be better heard if there was more funding, and that's why there's going to be more funding. I like also the fact that there can be different formats for different types of subjects. Mm -hmm. I personally like, and, and maybe the people at the department will be surprised, but I like the Vice magazine approach, where it's really talking about different subjects in different manner. And I would like to see uh, the uh, CBC being somehow a risk taker in terms of content. And that's how I think ultimately it will uh, make sure to attract new audiences and again be relevant. Yeah. This is not me being disrespectful of Vice because I have a lot of respect for Vice and I like what they do too. But I don't see in the Vice model a future for CBC. And I don't know what she means by Vice model. Does she mean stories about cat porn or is she talking about trying to attract younger audiences generally? I don't know quite what she's talking about. I mean, Vice operates like a digital company in the sense that you have a couple of really excellent stars and you have a lot of content churn. And I don't think that that's actually where CBC should be going at all. If that's what she means, does does she she mean that they should do more advertorial? Does she mean that they should be doing more like video game tie-ins? Cat porn, as you suggest, she doesn't really make it very clear. She likes different things. She likes different platforms and she likes different voices. If they had more money, they could do different voices. Is that really the issue? They don't have enough money to have different. Yeah. What is a different voice? Is she talking about politics? What you're she saying? About diversity? Is diff- she talking about youth? I don't, I don't know what she um, means. This is other th- one thing that I have to say when I'm talking about the CBC. And that is cuts suck. Layoffs absolutely suck. Um, Nobody likes that. Nobody champions that. But sometimes when you don't have resources, you're forced to actually look at what you're doing and reform and become more efficient. Oh, they've wasted every crisis. Right now, what is the CBC spending the money they do have on? On BuzzFeed, CBC is a sponsored content partner who are like buying articles to be made for them. And they promoted the new season of Coronation Street, which of course is not a CBC, CBC acquires Corey. And they were sending out a very clicky, image-filled, gift-filled list of Coronation Street promotion. It's the perfect vortex of it's it's on BuzzFeed Canada. It's sponsored by CBC. It's about a British TV show. It costs the CBC money. What the hell is it? That's when the CBC is just directly giving BuzzFeed money as opposed to just aping BuzzFeed. Some of the stories coming out on CBC.ca right now are like low-rent versions of BuzzFeed clickbait. Yeah, I really don't think that the CBC should be aping BuzzFeed. That does not add value to its brand. That is not what I think the brand represents to most Canadians. It feels to me like they are desperately trying to get younger audiences, but not doing it in a way that's authentic to themselves. I don't know. How do you change this? I mean, the CBC is a huge organization with probably just too many people to be able to make the changes that need to be made. I mean, one of the things that I will say about Post Media, and I mean, just taking the conversation about 
journalism content and quality, just putting that over to this corner here for a moment. If we didn't have the huge amounts of debt, post media, I think, would be ideally positioned to make the transition to digital. I can look 10 years in the future and pretending that the debt doesn't exist in my fantasy world. Right. Um, I could see a, a future five to 10 years from now where all of our papers are digital only and they're all doing pretty well and they're relatively profitable. I think they're closer than any other newspaper to actually making that switch. And why has that happened? Because we've had to. We've had to actually cut the legacy costs. We've had to be brutal. And there have been consequences for that choice, and they're not always good consequences. And I'm not necessarily defending all those choices. But I think that post media, in terms of as a core product and what it's doing right now, is actually really well positioned in a weird way. But were your digital revenues down last quarter? Oh, the digital revenues are down. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying like we could go to a digital only product tomorrow. That's not what I'm I suggesting. I know you're losing less money than you had been. You've cut a lot of your legacy costs, but. Cutting only gets you so far. You have to start making money on yeah, the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And that transition hasn't happened yet, but I think we're ahead of everyone else on it. Okay. I mean, I mean, what do you think is going to start happening to every other paper in this country in the next five years? Exactly what's been happening to Post Media. Places like the, the Vancouver Sun and the Ottawa Citizen and the Journal and the Herald or the Canaries and the Coal Mine and the giant wave of poison gas is coming. Just speaking practically here, the Liberals campaigned on restoring funding to the CBC. They're going to restore funding to the CBC. CBC did not use every crisis during the years of cuts, 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 cuts to figure out what the hell they're going to do or what their vision is. So mm -hmm. failing didn't seem to lead to anything productive. Sure. Right now, we have these bizarre, confusing messages coming out of the heritage minister. During the campaign, the liberals were saying, maybe film distribution should be swallowed up by the CBC as well, which is just what? like a no. god-awful no. idea. I don't think that the vision is going to come from the liberal government. I don't think it's going to come from within the CBC. I think that Canadians who give a damn need to stand up now and say, why are we being cut out of the process? Didn't the CBC try to do this? When organizations do this themselves, they can basically juke the stats and lead it to any conclusion they want. I mean, this is where you and I are going to falter because, of course, I'm an evil right-wing, top-down, hierarchical asshole. And you're not. You're a total hippie liberal progressives who thinks that we should be making <laughs> making all decisions by standing around in circles and, you know, doing the little jazz hands. But, but wow. How did you know I was pro jazz hands? <laughs> Truth be told, I actually think that this starts with a conversation with leadership. I, I think this, this starts with a conversation with the board level down. And I think that this is about somebody at the top saying, look, this is what our mandate and our vision is going to be. And, and how do we rework our entire organization around this new vision and mandate? I actually don't think that it is effective to get 30 million voices in on this. I just think you're going to have a mess. I actually think you're the dreamy idealist here. If there was just like an online campaign where people like had a, some kind of a group saying like, let's just vote. Do you want more factual entertainment reality shows? Do you want more Heartland or do you want more news? And there was like a million Canadians said, give us fucking news for $150 million. That kind of external pressure would force their hand. They would have a mandate. They would have the okay, pressure. Or it might actually give a top-down leader the mandate that they needed to do to... Okay, so, I mean, I could see your point. You and your top-down leaders. I'm sorry, but sometimes I'm just... I'm, I'm a, probably a fascist. What do you want? I mean, from Alberta, what do you, what do you expect? Thank you, Jen Gerson. No problem. Making friends. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Jen, where can people find you? You can generally find me on Twitter as well. Uh, Jen Gerson slash Jazz Hands. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. And our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash Canada Land. 
The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. The show is produced by Kevin Sexton. If you like what we do, please support us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.